Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Everybody that listens every day is aware of my association with Folds of Honor. I, I love what they do. I love the mission of Folds of Honor. What they do is provide scholarships to the, the family members, spouses, and children of people of military that are, are lost in the line of duty. And it, it's an incredible mission. We had the golf tournament a few weeks ago. And Rocky Sickman, who is notable here in St. Louis, a, a great Marine, worked for Anheuser-Busch for a long time, and now is so involved and really kind of driving the, the ship for Folds of Honor, kind enough to join us in studio. Rocky, it's always good to see you. Randy, it's awesome to see you, especially on a beautiful morning like this. Yeah, you, this is... Michelle, Matt, yeah. you also. It, it's fun. I want to know how you, and we're going to talk about your, your days, it was 40 years ago now, uh, when you were a hostage in the Iranian hostage crisis, but how did you get involved with Folds of Honor? You know, it's uh, synchronicity. Uh, I'm the director of military sales. Think about that. There's a job that a, a guy sells beer to the military. It was the best job ever. Uh, when I got out, um, when I came home 41 years ago, my girlfriend, now my wonderful wife, asked me, she said, Rocky, you got to either choose me or the military. I chose wisely. I chose her. <laughs> I went uh, went to work for Camo X mm-hmm. uh, for a period of a year and then had the opportunity to come on board with Budweiser. And in that uh, Budweiser, they had a position that sold beer to the military. My wife knew that I missed that military connection. Once you're in military, it, it's one of those things that connects. So one morning, as a director of military SEALs, security calls and says, hey, there's this skinny guy down here in a flight uniform in 202 in the lobby, and he wants to talk to somebody about a military program. So being a director of military SEALs, I had to go down, and I just so happened to be at home, and went down, and sure enough, here's a skinny little pilot. I find out that his name was Major Rooney, which is now Lieutenant Colonel Rooney. Mm -hmm. But he tells me his story, I tell him my story, and it wasn't until three years later that uh, we, Budweiser uh, and Folds of Honor, uh, we started raising dollars. And to this day, you know, team um, Budweiser and AB Wholesalers have raised over $20 million for wow. Folds of Honor. So, I mean, since 2007, uh, Folds of Honor has um, raised uh, dollars for 35,000 scholarships. Um, that's $160 million, 41% of our recipients are minority and every dollar that comes in 91 cents goes into that scholarship. So it's very, uh, very lean and mean. That's fantastic. By the way, I want you to tell the story of spring training. So you you come to KMOX, Mr. Highland sends you down to spring training, right? Yes. And you told me a couple of year, years ago, I wasn't aware of this, how you came to know Joe Buck. So yes, I, I'm, I'm, in fact, it's my first week at KMOX uh, down there at the, at the building. And I'm called up to Mr. Highland's office, and I'm thinking, I've just been here for one week. What did I do? And so I go up, and Mr. Highland, as you remember, and I don't know if you guys knew Mr. Highland, but 
a very, um, very sincere, very stern person. And so I go into his office, and he's a very tall gentleman. Rocky, how do you like the job? I said, sir, I, I love it. Thank you. And uh, he goes, sit down. We got something for you. And all of a sudden, he pushes the old buttons. This is 1981. Push the button and says, yeah, send Jack in. I'm sitting there, Jack, 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 Buck. And all of a sudden, the door opens up, and I look around, and sure enough, here's Jack Buck. Because I was a little kid growing up in Krakow, Missouri, with a little transistor radio underneath my uh, pillow with a wire and listening to baseball games. I mean, with Joe Buck, or excuse me, Jack Buck and Mike Shannon. And so all of a sudden, he goes, now, Rocky, sit down. Mike, sit down. Or Jack, sit down. So Rocky, on behalf of CBS and uh, Budweiser, because Budweiser owned the Cardinals, we're going to send you down to spring training, and Mr. Buck is going to be your host. So for a week, Mr. Buck woke us up in the morning, got us breakfast, took us to the game. I sat up in the booth with Mr. Buck and Jack Buck and Mike Shannon, and at night we would go out, but my little brother had to stay behind because he was underage. And so who was with him but Joe Buck? And so to this day, whenever I see Joe, Joe, you always ask, how's your little brother Kirk doing? <laughs> so it was the best time. And he goes, Rocky, it's not over. You're going to throw in the first pitch, wow. 1981. So I come home. And again, you guys, being held hostage for 441 days, 444 days. It's one of those things that the only thing you had were positive memories of growing up. And sports were everything, you know, the Cardinals and uh, football and, and, and everything. And so coming home, they found out that I loved baseball. And so I got to throw in the first pitch after being with Jack Buck, Mike Shannon, and I'm behind Gussie Bush on the Clydesdales. And so I go around Bush Stadium, which my dad built in 1966, mm -hmm. I think it was. He laid concrete. And so we all got into a, a, a station wagon back in 1966. There were seven of us in that station wagon. We went down because he got free tickets for, anyway, Long story short, we go around the uh, stadium, 1981. I get off uh, out of my convertible. I'm starting to walk out, and all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Bush, Gussie Bush, he's on home plate, goes, now, Rocky, come here. Come here, Rocky. I got something for you. And so I'm thinking, he's got something for me. So I go up to home plate, and you know the whole stadium's packed, and he goes, Rocky, on behalf of Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, I'd like to present you this lifetime membership baseball pass, which was a gold pass that was given to all 52 of the hostages. Uh, so I still have it. And Marty Hendon, back in the days, mm -hmm. he used to be there, and he was my guy. And so I haven't used it because I've been traveling uh, so much all over the country. And so, but one of these days when I retire, uh, I will hopefully uh, use that. But yeah, great memories of those guys. Yeah, you need to utilize that, Rocky. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that seems like the golden ticket. You need to utilize that. It well, is. I want to talk about your your military experience and your military career. You were just sharing with us before we came on the air that you joined right out of high school. What was it about the allure of the military that made you want to get involved? You know, my parents, Michelle, they taught me three things. Uh, love of family, love of faith, and love of country. There wasn't a time in, uh, we grew up in Krakow, Missouri, which was population 50 at that time. I always said and Washington and Union uh, were on each side of us. In Washington, my parents were always in the American Legion. And so whenever there was a parade, we would be in a parade holding the American flag. I got to raise the flag at St. Gertrude's, uh, you know, Catholic school, uh, Washington High School. And so it was one of those things. And so I, I was captain my senior year of football and my coach was looking for a, a scholarship, small school. And instead, I just decided, you know what? I want to see the world. 
I don't, you know, I, I know that there's more out. I mean, if you had a hot date, you would drive into St. Louis and go to Red Lobster. That was a big date. <laughs> Great <And> roles. So, <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, sure enough, I joined the uh, military. My father and mother could not believe it. And, but uh, yeah, it was about uh, my father served uh, in the Army. My brother served during Vietnam. And so I wanted to serve. But I also wanted to see the world and the world I did see. So I, I want to go back to November of 1979, and I, I'm, I just turned 17. So I'm watching on TV, and we're seeing these horrific images of Iranian people storming the U.S. Embassy. You were at the U.S. Embassy. But th- this is just a sea of people with giant Ayatollah Khomeini signs. So there's a lot of people, I would suggest most people probably driving around, are, are too young to remember what happened. Give us your perspective, because all we saw was the TV images. Give us your perspective of, of that day when the embassy was taken over by the, the Iranians. Yeah, and again, at that point in time, uh, I wanted to see the world, but I wanted to be a, a Marine security guard, uh, which was a very elite duty. Um, in fact, I went by Quantico yesterday, where I graduated in 1979. And so I get to Tehran. And we had heard that the Shah had fled the country. He was the dictator up to January of 1979. And so a new uh, president, would you say, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, a religious leader from uh, France, came into power into ex- from exile. And so um, the Shah was allowed into the United States two weeks prior to November 4th. We had uh, alerted the State Department, if you allow the Shah in, Um, one of three things is going to happen. And sure enough, during President Carter's meeting um, weeks earlier, he said, you know, what are you going to do to a staff? What are you going to do if we allow the Shah in and the Iranians take our people hostage? And sadly enough, two weeks later, that's what happened. Uh, We used to have 20,000 Americans here, Randy, up to January of 1979. When I got there, we had 65 Americans. And as an American embassy that territory, it was a 23-acre compound. It, it's American soil. And the outside perimeter is guarded by the host government. That morning, and I got pictures, and you can get pictures off the internet, uh, pictures of people coming over the wall. And I'll never forget, I was 30 yards away when, I mean, those chants of death to America. And all of a sudden, you know, they were going on for two weeks prior. I'm walking into the motor pole gate, my walkie-talkie, recall, recall, look at the front gate, and they're coming over. Back then, I could run pretty fast because we carried no weapons. Our weapons were in the chancery. The Marines did not uh, provide security to the grounds. They provided to the building and to the ambassador. So we got back. There was nobody at that front gate on the morning of November 4th, Mm. 1970. I will never forget that. We secured, out of 13 Marines, um, seven Marines secured that American embassy for four hours waiting for the host government Mm. to come to provide protection. And I can tell you, the first thing I'll never forget is no security at the front gate. And the second thing I will never forget, and I will tell every American until I die, is they break through the basement window. And who do they bring in first? Or Iranian women in black shadows. And they're using them as shields. And Billy and I, Billy Gallegos, uh, from Pueblo, Colorado, another Marine, we're downstairs, gas mask on. I'm 22 years of age. And you know what? Our orders were being screamed, don't fire, don't retaliate. But they knew that we weren't going to shoot unarmed innocent women up front. But I kind of, my wife hates this when I say this. I regret not ever pulling that trigger because I'm here to tell you that the war on terrorism with Iran started November 4th, 
1979, mm-hmm. and it's not ever stopped. And so had we retaliated, sure, I probably would not be sitting here, plus I probably would have been the Marine that gone down to create World War III or whatever, but um, we popped tear gas, we got them out of the building, went up to the very top, we were stalling, we get up to the very top, we uh, barricade the door, uh, people had already been taken. Out of the 60, there are about 30 now that are uh, behind, enjoying what that American flag represents, and that's freedom. I mean, until you have it stripped from you, do you really understand how important it is? And all of a sudden, about four hours into it, uh, President Carter comes on and says, you release yourself, give yourself up, and we'll get this resolved with diplomacy, because it was gonna be 18 hours before the U.S. was going to be able to. So a lot of things have happened. The United States now has reactionary force uh, measures in place. So if any embassy is heard or smell any uh, type of uh, danger, people are on board. So, yeah, that morning, uh, November 4th, 1979, um, you know, we as hostages were stripped our freedom, our dignity, and our pride for the next wow. 444 days. So you're, you're taken hostage. Tell us about what happens next. What are, what are the conditions like? Yeah, the conditions, I can tell you, Michelle uh, and team, I mean, we were tied to a chair for the next 30 days. One week I was tied in a bed with the Air Force officer. Uh, my feet were tied to his uh, wrist. My wrists were tied to his feet, and I laid in the bed for a week. Other than that, you were tied into a chair. At night, they would tie you onto the floor, your wrists, your ankles. Other than your interrogations, were you allowed to speak? And you were put into a corner of a room. And I, I was talking about earlier, growing up in, in Krakow, Missouri, and, and, and you know, playing sports in Washington. I mean, I went back as far as I could of uh, playing every sports, ice skating on Besties Pond, sleigh riding down A Holds Hill, eating my mother's pancakes because. If you've ever gone through a traumatic time, your listeners out there, you don't feel like eating. I mean, here you are held hostage, um, and but you know that the military is out there, but you then sit back and say, it's 1979. Uh, and those Vietnam veterans that are out there, I'm sitting there in 1979 remembering the Vietnam veterans when they came home in 75, they were spit on. Nobody cared about them. And now you're 10,000 miles away from home and if I'd been locked in this room and broken windows, I would hear the traffic there on Olive in the morning. You would hear it peak, you know, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. would go down. And that would be day one. And then day two. And you're sitting there thinking, if nobody cared about them, who's going to care about us? We're just mm-hmm. a small number mm-hmm. of 65 people. The world's going on without you. So it was very lonely. Uh, the first Thanksgiving, first Christmas, you sat there and just reminisced everything that your your parents did. My mother making her homemade bread, you know, getting her turkey and stuffing it, and all the relatives coming over, and you just you cherished that. And then that first Christmas, uh, and then it was New Year's Eve. We were put into a room uh, about the size, double the size of this room. Uh, so imagine, out of 444 days, we went outside seven times out of 444 oh, days. Man. And to go to the restroom, even though you're locked in the room, you had a knock and put a piece of paper underneath the door because you were locked in the offices at the embassy. And so they, they would have to come and blindfold you to go to the restroom, even though you knew where the restroom was. So, I mean, they had complete control. Rocky Sickman with us on 101 ESPN. And before we, and I hate to get to a break, but I want to, I have to imagine that there were a lot of times, because I would feel this way, that you thought, I'm not getting out of here. You, you thought that a lot. But you also, I, like I said, three things my parents taught me, love of family, love of faith. I had never prayed so hard 
you guys in my life. I, I wanted, I was so young, I turned 23 in that uh, that hole, and I just wanted so bad to get out. But yeah, uh, at the very end was most uh, difficult, uh, 400 uh, after you spent your second Thanksgiving, your second mm-hmm. Christmas. Uh, I can tell you a story, but you might have to go and yeah, break it. We'll, we'll, we'll take the break because <laughs> there's a rescue mission that you talk about a lot yes. that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about how sports played a role in you guys surviving this. Rocky, we're getting a ton of response on the text line. And because we do have a captive audience and what you are talking about is so compelling, how can people get involved with Folds of Honor? Absolutely. Here in St. Louis, we have a wonderful chapter uh, led by Doug Mitchell, uh, stlewis.com foldsofhonor.org, and they can uh, donate and also get involved with the chapter here in St. Louis. So, And I know that our friends at Schnooks are heavily involved. They they rounded up at the register through the 4th of July and raised a lot of money. Absolutely. QT, which is a big yep. uh, promoter here in the station, mm-hmm. and you guys have done such a great job promoting. Uh, but yeah, it, there's so many. Uh, the Suntrup Automotive Group, $300,000, I think, that we raised this year which is a total in the past, for the past four years or so, uh, $700,000 from that golf outing. So we're so blessed to have red, white, and blue people here in Mm -hmm. the St. Louis area uh, that get it and understand what that flag represents. So I learned something during the break that I had never heard before. And so throughout that 444 days, we hear about the, well, most of the 444 days, the 52 American hostages at the the U.S. Embassy in Iran. And you thought throughout the process there were 65 of you. Tell us that story. It was, there were 65 on November 4th. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had breakfast. Uh, I had breakfast uh, that morning. I had just gotten off guard duty at 7 o'clock that morning. I'd gone up, cleaned up. I was in civilian clothes. And uh, I crossed the street, had breakfast in the the restroom, uh, uh, restaurant there, and at my table were three of those individuals that were rescued by the Canadians that created the movie Argo. We had no idea that four hours later our life would be turned upside down. I go down to the Chancery, and obviously we're taken. But yeah, November 4th, 1979, I knew there were 65. 444 days later, you're, that day comes that you had prayed for, you had cried for, you had hoped for. And they came into our room. They blindfolded us. Uh, they had taken our shoes from us in um, March of 1980, and we're wearing plastic sandal shoes. And I remember uh, walking out of the room, and the way that we came into the room from the, was from the right. And instead, the guard took us to the left. And I'm thinking, this is strange. And all of a sudden, I was leading the area. Jerry had his arm on my shoulder. Get to the door. He turns me, and he opens the door, and you feel this cold, fresh air because for 444 days— you're allowed outside seven times, and they only took you out for 15 minutes each time. Mm. To look, I mean, my skin was so pale, was so bad. But that night of January 20th, I walk out, and it was snowing. I walk through the snow. They put us onto a vehicle. The vehicle drives off. I remember scraping a, a bush or a tree to the right, jumps a curb. It drives, and all of a sudden, we made a right-hand turn, and you heard the sound of a, a jet engine, and you start your heart is just pounding and you're thinking this is going to be it that we could be going home and all of a sudden they tell us to unblindfold i didn't have glasses then didn't have hearing aids then and you unblindfold and here you are seeing somebody that you hadn't seen because i was in a room with two other people jerry plakin and billy gallegos for 400 days mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they take us one by one put us onto the airplane i'd not seen a woman in 444 days and 
you know, my icon was my girlfriend, which was my now my wonderful wife. Uh, you've seen the movie Castaway. Mm -hmm. He had a locket. I didn't have a locket. I had a picture of her in my head. And she was, that first 30 days uh, of being tied to a chair, it was the most freaking difficult days of my life. I mean, when you're confined to a, a spot like that, and you're typically running seven miles a day, playing tennis every day, and now you're confined. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many things are going through your head. But she was my icon. I kept her alive. And anyway, they put us onto the airplane, and the girl sits us down in, in broken English. And it's like, this is an American. We find out they're a Jill, Algerian. And all of a sudden, they start closing the door. And we're, wait, wait, where's uh, where's Gene? Where's Kurt? Where's Judy? Where's, where's Debbie? There's not all the people are in here. And they said, no, no, you're the last of the 65. The others were let go a year earlier. We had no idea wow. that other people had been let go and that we were the remaining 52 um, after 444 days. That's amazing. You could not, and did you want to leave anybody behind? And so sure enough, the plane gets to the end of the runway, turns left, turns left again. He comes up, and I can tell you, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the, the mullahs and, and, and the Revolutionary Guard, they took us because they hated the Shah and they hated Salvak. 43 years later, I want to go back and ask them, has Ayatollah Khomeini really been better than the Shah? And is the Revolutionary Guard really better than Salvak? I mean, they're worse to me. Mm -hmm. But that night, um, for 444 days, uh, it was all about mind games. I can, I, I got to be politically correct. I got to, you know, speak carefully because my vocabulary here is much better than what it was over there, I can guarantee it. <laughs> but that night of January 20th, 1981, nobody's, nobody's excited. I'm wearing a pair of pants that my left cheek is completely hanging out of. Uh, I'd worn for over 200 days. And the plane gets to the end of the runway, and the guy's got his foot on the brake, and he starts accelerating, and all of a sudden it comes back down to an idol. And you're sitting there thinking there's just groom with this one last time. Little do we know, back home, was the inauguration. The mm -hmm. Islamic Republic of Iran, they told us in our interrogations, it is not you, the American people, that we ate. It's your government, but we will use you to humiliate your government. So what were they doing? They were holding this until 20 minutes after President Carter. That was 41 years ago, you guys, and they are still doing it to our government. They have humiliated every American president since, and here they are going through it again. Yeah. And it hurts, and so that's why I regret Telling my wife that I wish I wish I could have pulled that trigger yeah. and, and changed everything. Rocky, I, I can't imagine the fear and despair that you felt during those 444 days, but you shared with us that to not let that overcome you, you would think of your mother's pancakes and your girlfriend at the time. What was that reunion like when you finally oh. were able to see them? Because I know this was unfathomable for you, but I can't imagine being a parent or having my loved one over there. It had to be gut-wrenching for them yeah. as well. And that's, you guys, that's where I came home and found out that eight individuals lost their life for my life. And those individuals all had families. And this is where it gets really tough um, because I have a family now. And I'm sitting there thinking, had my son, as Matt knows Spencer, um, been taken hostage? As my father and my mother, for 444 mm. days, the media lived in their yard, um, but didn't come to find out that eight people lost their life from my life. Uh, it was just, it, it was so difficult, and it's something that's hard, and that's why I, I have to do this. When Randy called and said, Rocky, absolutely, my, my story is just part of the story. The families, my parents, my brothers and sisters, those that were on the rescue operation that had the guts to try. I mean, a rescue attempt 
had never been done like this. They were in the middle of the country of Iran and eight people burnt to death. And I got to meet the special operators uh, last year and in the past 41 years. And I'm going to see some more coming up in September. But they tell me that night it was the most difficult night because not only were they able not to come get us, but they had to leave their buddies burn in the desert. And so, yeah, there, you guys, it's there's so much uh, trauma. And, and by the way, whenever I refer to Rocky as a hero, he you yeah. always say, no, those guys, those eight guys, those, those are eight, the heroes. Absolutely. Yeah. Those guys and those individuals that were on the rescue operation that had the guts to try, they were the heroes. Okay. So set the scene for us when you had the reunion with your family. Yeah, Where I, were you? How did that happen? So I make my first phone call home when I get, so we, we flew, uh, the plane finally took off. And I can tell you, nobody was saying a word. Uh, you could just hear the sound. We get into Turkish airspace, and the pilot came on and said, two Turkish, or two fighters were escorting this, uh, that we knew then we were, we were freed. And it was, it was uh, incredible. Um, we flew to Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece, the pilot and the stewardesses, they get off the airplane because they had been on that airplane for three days waiting for us. The, the United States paid the Islamic Republic of Iran $8 billion dollars. For our release, they sat there. The money was supposed to be. Uh, the money was delivered on January seventeenth. We were supposed to be uh, let go, but they waited until January twentieth. We went from Athens to Algiers, Algiers to Germany. I call home, speak to my mom and dad, and uh, my dad goes, "Rocky Jill's here." And I said, oh, "She waited," and he goes, "Well, she wants to talk to you." And I'm thinking, oh, "Shit, that doesn't sound good." <laughs> I mean, she's probably getting married, and she's a beautiful girl. We were so young. She was eighteen. I was twenty-two. And uh, she gets on. That's when she said, Rocky, either me or the military. And, and mm-hmm. so it was, I think, about seven days later, the government wanted us to do a, you know, and a, a simple transition. Instead of my whole family, it was just my parents uh, at West Point. And that's why I, I love to go to West Point to this day, to the Army, Navy, uh, or the Army Games, um, to see that it's a beautiful location. Uh, but there were like 200,000 people I lined up on the road in Wiesbaden, Germany at four o'clock in the morning. And then we get here and it's like, this had not happened to the Vietnam veterans. Why all of a sudden was it happening to us? And so we went from West Point after seeing my mom and dad back into Andrews Air Force Base. And there's a video, Michelle, of, uh, of Jill running up to me at the airport mm-hmm. um, on online somewhere. There's so much information out there. Um, and so, but yeah, that was uh, a reunion that, uh, you know, came together. And, uh, you know, my parents have passed away 13 years ago, I think it's been. And so it's one of those things that you just, uh, thank goodness that they gave me that upbringing of, uh, you know, you know, love of family, love of faith, and love of country. Rocky, I want to get two one-minute answers from you. Number one, talk about the significance of the sporting news. At that time, the St. Louis-based sporting news for you in captivity. Yeah, so again, we received no information. I can tell you, if you can imagine uh, being locked in this room and you hear the guard out there listening to BBC, because uh, that's what they listen to, you would sit there and you would put your ear down so far to try to hear information. So the only thing they gave us was sporting news information. So we're put into Evine prison after we find out, well, we didn't find out that there had been a rescue operation until after. But one day of April, they came running into our room. And whenever that door opened, you jumped because you didn't know if they were going to come in and start shooting or what. They came in, handcuffed us, put us into a vehicle. 
and they drove us from the night of April 25th because they found the charred bodies and the CH-53 still standing in the desert. And so they thought the United States was coming to get us. So they left us from there to uh, Isfahan to Shiraz. We didn't know those locations until we had been there. They told us where we were, brought us back and put us in a vain prison. And it's October. And all of a sudden we're reading a sporting news magazine. And out of one sentence, due to the death of the Shah of Iran, it's like, whoa, whoa, you guys, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Because the whole reason why we were there was because they wanted the Shah. He's dead. And all of a sudden we went to the door and we pounded on the door and the guard came and said, gee, what? The Shah is dead. Why are we here? No, we do not believe he's dead. We could not see his body. So I can tell you at that point in time, second Thanksgiving, second Christmas, it got to the point, you guys, whenever you would go to the restroom, you 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 really didn't care anymore. I mean, it got to the point that, you know, you asked that question earlier. It was at the very end that they would take us blindfold, just take us to the restroom, come back, open a door, and throw you into the room. Well, before they grab the door and close it, you would grab the door and swing it open and walk out in the hallway. And they would come with their weapons drawn, and you would put the weapon in your mouth and just say, pull the trigger. Because you'd been there for 400 days, and you just you, you didn't want to live anymore right. in this. And that's why they had a lock us like a freaking animal at the zoo. And... So it wasn't until January 20th that uh, we realized that, no, freedom was there. And then the other one, sports-wise, and there's a documentary about this, an L.A. Times writer got Alex a recording. Payne. Yeah. Alex Payne, yeah, Alex Payne. Supposedly, and again, I, I know this after coming home, that this guy, he remained over there, and he recorded the Super Bowl. Uh, and so he had begged the, the guards and there were some good guards and i mean the iranian people are wonderful people the the, the mullahs are the thugs and the revolutionary guard but the guards would come in and say here and they had a um, it was a cassette tape and they would play it uh, and you could hear the um, they didn't play the national anthem of course uh, and <laughs> want that um, but they they played uh, the 1980 uh, super bowl uh, wow. So that was Steelers yeah. Rams, I believe. Steelers LA Rams. I, I yeah, because I, it was an LA LA Times writer. And yes. I think that was it. He got the LA right. broadcast. Right. Yeah, and I, I can tell you that uh, it was one of those things that you you cherish that moment. Brings you back home. Oh my gosh! Right? Yeah, because I mean, all my memories of of growing up. That's as you sat there by yourself. That was the only thing that kept you uh, glued together. Were your positive memories mm-hmm. of growing up. Yeah. So. We've, uh, we're have we going to take one final break here. Michelle has another question. I have one more. And then uh, Rocky Sickman, kind enough to join us for this hour with amazing memories of his days as a hostage. We are honored by the presence of Rocky Sickman in studio for this hour. And so you, you get the plane ride home, you wind up in Germany, you wind up back in uh, America, and then you wind up back in St. Louis. And I do vividly remember the images, Rocky, of your trek once you got from Lambert back to Krakow, Missouri. What are your memories of that trip back? I'll never forget boarding uh, Ozark Airlines, if you remember that airline. Mm-hmm. They had painted a yellow ribbon around the fuselage of the airplane mm-hmm. so that I could fly home. I fly home, did a flyby around the tire. They had a yellow ribbon. I mean, all these things. The only thing I wanted to do was get home and eat my mom's homemade uh, <laughs> bread and, and just relax. But I we land, and there were thousands of people uh, 
And of course, thousands, a lot of those people were my cousins. At my wedding, my wife and I, 43 years ago, uh, 41 years ago, we invited 850 people, 750 people showed. Wow. But wow. a lot of them were relatives. We went across the street and they said, Rocky, uh, you have a press conference. I said, what's that? press conference what do, what do i do and so no i'm serious i was thrown into this yeah the whole area the 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 ballroom was full of press and so it, it started you know then and uh then i boarded a, a mid-america bus i believe it was from marriott and drove all the way out and all the way from lambert airport all the way out 80 some miles to krakow missouri there were people lined up I mean, it was just incredible. My father drove a, a concrete mixer uh, at Valley Park, and all of his trucks, his buddy's trucks, were all parked out there, flashing oh, lights. Cool. So it's a very meaningful. I mean, you guys, for my parents, God love them, what they went through. It was incredible. But yeah, um, it was then a, a start. And uh, so here I am, 41 yeah. years later. Amazing. Well, Rocky, last question for me. We hear this a lot from the men and women who courageously serve and protect our country that when you go through an experience that's traumatic, there's after effects there. It's not as if I'm no longer a hostage anymore. The chapter is closed. That experience doesn't leave you. No. So once all of the hustle and bustle of the return and uh, the, the big he's back, there's a press conference. What was that transition period like back to American life after the dust had settled? It's never changed, Michelle. You're right. It, it doesn't and especially after you're hearing stories of eight people giving their life for their life it's like that's my mission when I feel like you know oh you, you have only a couple hours of sleep and you think back of those guys that flew through the night of April 24th the land in the desert in the morning of April 25th to come get me they didn't you know they weren't complaining about sleep I mean so I, I do it in memory of those guys and make sure that I, I tell the story in uh, in memory of them and know that freedom is not free. Uh, but it is a transition. My good wife, like I said, I told you, if it wasn't for her, I'd be wearing military green right now. I mean, she's, you know, uh, done everything. I'd be in a ditch right now if it wasn't for my wife, Jill. Uh, so it, it, but it's a, a continuous process. Um, and I might look normal on the outs outside, but I'm not normal on the inside. Uh, and you don't ever forget it. Yeah. Well, you are an American hero, and we appreciate you. We, we love you. And we're so thankful, A, that you are here with us and doing so much to help so many uh, with, with the platform that you have. And can't thank you enough for stopping by today. No, thank you. And again, I, I hope everyone, uh, they look into Folds of Honor here at the St. Louis Chapter, a great organization that provides scholarships to families of fallen disabled military. And again, like me, I'll never forget those eight. Freedom is not free, and we're just blessed with red, white, and blue here in the St. Louis area. Absolutely. So Thanks, thank Rocky. You. Thanks, guys. The great Rocky Sickman joining us in studio here on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face -face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.